everybody. This is episode 36 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for once again joining us for another conversation about the character of God. I am so honored that you're taking this time to go on this journey with us, to have all of the exciting discoveries that we're having together. I'm so glad you're part of this. Thank you so much. Wherever you are in the world, we're getting emails from you, and we're so delighted to hear how God is using this Bible Lab to really help you discover the character of God. If you would like to, feel free to go to our website, thebiblelab.com, and go to the contact page. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Today, we are going into an incredible conversation about the mind-boggling decisions that God made when he designed the very first Christmas. And today, we're going to take a look at why did God choose Mary? He could have chosen anybody and not to take away anything from Mary, but God had choices. So what was it about Mary that really captured God's heart and made him decide you are going to be the mother of the Christ child? I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation. Thanks so much for being part of this. God bless you and welcome to the Bible Lab. Are you ready? All right, number one. When we find favor in God's sight, our lives become less complicated. Yes or no? When we find favor in God's sight, our lives become less complicated. Whoa. Predominantly no, a few yeses, but for the most part, you're a fairly pessimistic crowd. (laughs) Right? Murphy's Law and all. You're saying no. Okay, so you're saying when you find favor in God's sight, your life can become more complicated? Is that what you're saying? Wow, you're a callous crowd. Now I know why I love you. Number two, beyond my great-grandparents, I don't know much about my genealogy. Beyond my great-grandparents, I don't know much about my genealogy. Oh, wow, predominantly yes. It looks to me to be about 90% yes, and 10% of you have actually studied your family tree, right? Okay, good. Number three, God's choice of Jesus' mother was more important than the choice of the earthly father. Yes or no? Oh, we're taking a long time on this one. Okay. So for the most part, it looks like about 70% no. About 20% yes, and the rest of you are maybes. By the way, if you're new, if you hold up a yes and no at the same time, it means maybe, or you're not going to trick me this time. Okay? So for the most part, 60% of you at least are saying that God's choice of his earthly father was just important as his earthly mother. It's interesting because we don't treat them the same, do we? We venerate the mother and the father, well, he was there. And thankfully, he had a craft to pass on to Jesus. Number four, I naturally try to avoid tasks that are complex and have the possibility of disrupting my plans. I naturally try to avoid tasks that are complex and have the possibility of disrupting my plans. All right, we're about 50-50 on this one, 50-50. So half of you 
are goal-oriented like I am, and you don't want any calls, any emails, any texts, I'm in the middle of something important. The rest of you are like, man, I'm bored. Let me check my Facebook. All right, last one. If an angel appeared to me and said that God had a special task for me, I would think he had stopped by the wrong house by mistake. <laughs> yes or no? Once again, 50-50. 50-50. Half of you are like, no, he's at, the, he's at the right place. And the other half are like, uh, no, you're supposed to be at the guy sitting next to me. We're kind of split on that, aren't we? Because in our minds, we define what is special, what we have done in our own lives to find favor in God's sight. As we step into this third session of Merry Cryptics, the baffling decisions God made to design Christmas, we're going to take a look at his decision of mother. In the same way that he could have chose any father when he chose Joseph, he could have chosen any mother. I'm sure many of the mothers in this crowd or the young ladies who are about, uh, about to get married or, or have children have thought, what if? What if the angel came into your room and it's dark and now it's bright and the angel says, you're going to bear the Son of God? You've probably pondered in your mind what your response would be, how that would make you feel. When Jesus chose Mary, he didn't make a mistake. So the question is, what was right about Mary, and what does that in some way unpack for us about the character of God? What does God like? And is that the same as what we're striving toward today, or is that different from some of the things that we've placed really high on our list of things that we need to do in order to find favor in God's sight? And so that's what we're going to take a look at today. And by starting out, we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 1, Verses 26 and 27. Would someone be willing to read that for us? It's right there on the study guide. Luke 1, verses 26 and 27. Just raise your hand. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Okay. What do we know about Mary? What is it that we know about Mary? Just shout it out. I'm sorry? Virgin? Okay. Uh, say again. Willing? What else? Engaged? House of David. What was that? Humble, you said? Did she say humble? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I said hard of hearing. Sorry. <laughs> okay, what else? Young. young. How young was she? We don't know, but she was between 12 and 14 if she was average. And remember, the exegetical method, if the Bible does not specifically say, it means it's not out of the ordinary. And the ordinary was between 12 to 14 years old. Junior high, we're going down to Pastor Doug's class to find the mother of Jesus. Is that the scariest thing of all? Any of you in here have junior high kids? Oh, can you imagine your kids being the parent of the Messiah? 
We talk about the struggle of the parents and the stress on the parents. What if you were the grandparents? The grandparents of Jesus. You're like, did I do a good enough job so that my kid, I see my kids doing the same mistakes that I made raising my kids. Can you imagine the guilt and the stress you would have as the grandparents of Jesus? What else do we know about Mary? Galilee. Galilee. Okay. Specifically, Nazareth. We're going to come back to, to that, by the way. What else do we know about Mary? Gabriel. What, what do you mean by that? Could you both say it at the same time, which I think is awesome. I just heard it in stereo. Okay. So Gabriel talked to her. Okay. What else? I'm sorry? God-fearing. What else? question is, is Mary a common name? We're going to get to that in about three minutes. What was the other thing back here? Believing. Yes, he was a believer. We, we know that she's a believer, excuse me, we know that she's a believer because if you look at the song that she writes uh, around the time that uh, she sees Mary, um, the words that she says shows that in her life she's been not only a believer, but she's been preparing for the Messiah. She's just shocked that it's coming into her womb. And so uh, it shows a deep belief. What else do we know about Mary? She was Jewish. What else? Poor. We know that she is related to Elizabeth, possibly niece. Yep. Small town girl. What else? Right too fast. Okay, trusted God. Ah, God trusted her. What else? She seems, uh, she seems to be kind of a thoughtful person. Thoughtful, yeah, she seems to be a thoughtful person. Mentioned several times when things happened that she would contemplate it. Yes. Very contemplative person, and Luke does, does mention that. We see her genealogy. It's believed that Luke's version of the genealogy actually is tracing Mary's lineage, and that Matthew's is following Joseph's. There's some debate over it, but for the most part, most theologians have settled in that Luke is trying to tell you who Mary is. Here's our challenge. As you go through, and you can do this, you can ask Uncle Google even, uh, go and say uh, uh, Mary's lineage. And you will see on these web pages, as they go through the list in Luke, and you click on the names to find out, well, who is this guy? And who is that guy? And who is that guy? You'll find just blank. We don't know anything about him. So even though we know this much about Mary, we really don't know much about her upbringing, other than the fact that she was related to David, which is great, the line of David. She has the line of David. Joseph has the line of David. They seem to intersect in two different places. And also that she's from the tribe of Judah, which is great. And if she's related to Elizabeth, what was Elizabeth's husband's job? He was a priest, which means he was from Levi, 
which means there is also a connection with Mary to the priest, the tribe of Levi. So she's part of a very devout family. But there's a couple of things about her that when you really start digging, it starts to, it starts to wake up your mind as far as why would God choose a 12 to 14-year-old girl that we really don't know much about her immediate family. We know some of her distant relatives, but not really much about her immediate family. So we have to start with, well, who was she? She's named Mary. One of the interesting things in Scripture is whenever you have a character, the fun thing to do is to look up what does that name mean? Because it's amazing how God writes your story even before you begin to walk. And so as one of the shocks that I had this week as I was looking into this is to see what does the name Mary mean? And the first thing that it said right on the top line is it says, Mary, in the Hebrew, is from the root Marah. Have you ever heard that name before, Marah? Perhaps you heard it maybe on the second uh, session of our last series, Life in the Wilderness. What was the story about Marah? Bitter water. The name Marah means bitterness. Jesus is born to a girl named Bitterness. It seems kind of weird until you take a step back. Can you remember what happened when Jesus brought the children of Israel to Marah? When did that happen? Toward the end of their journey or toward the beginning? The beginning. In fact, it's the very first place that God led the people right after they stepped to the other side of the Red Sea, it was their first steps into freedom. Up until that time, the whole time that they were on the other side of the Red Sea, they were still slaves. They were just runaway slaves. But the moment they stepped through the Red Sea and the sea crashed down and their previous slave owner was killed, their first step into newfound freedom was to step toward Marah, a place where Many people would say, God, you're leading us to death. Why have you led us to death? In fact, they say at Marah, let's turn back. But then God asks them to do something very interesting at Marah to make the bitterness turn to sweetness. What did he ask them to do? Take a couple of pieces of wood and throw them into the water. When we went through this session, we all had a lot of questions. Why would God choose to take them, first of all, to a place that appeared to be death? And in that place, why would he choose? Of all the things that he could have chosen, why did he choose a couple of pieces of wood? To change the water from bitterness and death into sweetness and life. And we see in this place, many of you are saying it, God wrote at the very beginning of the story of what he wants to write into the lives of his followers. He wrote that even though it appears that I'm taking you to death, to a very bitter death, because of a couple of pieces of wood, I'm not only going to make it sweet, I'm going to give you life. Written right inside the name of Mary is that even though it looks like I'm leading you to bitterness, I'm leading you to eternal life. It's also interesting to note that from that place, it says he takes them to Elim, which is a place of 12 springs and 70 trees. And we stopped there and we said, why did the Bible list these numbers? 
Because whenever the Bible lists numbers, they're important. And we couldn't figure out what they were talking about. And this week as I was studying, I was saying, well, once God led the people to understand out of bitterness will come sweetness in life, who are the next springs? We look at his 12 disciples or apostles. Jesus says, if you drink in the water I give you, it will become in you a spring welling up to eternal life. And we look at what's the 70 trees, quite possibly it was the 70 disciples. Jesus had 70 disciples. You find in Luke chapter 10 and elsewhere where he sends the 70 out door to door to spread the good news. Perhaps Jesus is saying these are like trees planted next to water. And now we come back to Mary, generations later, looking at this new exodus of God's people, that final battle that God's going to wage. And written right within her name, Marah, God says, I'm leading you into a place that many of you will see as bitterness, but because of two pieces of wood in my presence, I'm bringing you life and sweetness to lead you on to the path that I always had for you. We see next that Mary, many of you have said, was poor. Why do you think Mary was poor? What makes you believe she was poor? She grew up in Nazareth. Exactly. So if I were to say, Mary, from inner city San Bernardino. Her family's from inner city San Bernardino. What picture do you have in your mind? Poor. It's the exact same when you say Mary from Nazareth. In fact, later on, people ask the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What other evidences do we have that they were poor? The sacrifice. Togar said the sacrifice. What sacrifice are you talking about? When they took Jesus to be circumcised and to be dedicated, they gave a sacrifice. Togar, what sacrifice did they give? I'm sorry, I might have that off. Go ahead. They used dove. Yes, dove. They did not bring a lamb. Unfortunately, in the time of Christ, when you were bringing your offering, it wasn't like your wallet, you know, the bills are the same size in the United States, and so you try to fold up that one so people might think it's a 10 or a 20, right? I know you don't do it, um, <laughs> but you've seen other people do it. Um, you can hide how much you give. Now it's even easier. I take out my smartphone and I say, oh, I'm going to give on the church app. You have no idea how many zeros I'm putting there. In Jesus' day, you couldn't do that because the sacrifice that you brought would not fit in your wallet and they didn't have smart devices. Everyone would see the sacrifice that you brought. To bring your child for their dedication, every parent dreamed of bringing a beautiful lamb. But Mary and Joseph couldn't because they couldn't afford it. And so we know from there that Mary and Joseph definitely did not have a lot of money because they couldn't even afford a lamb for this very special service. Yes, ma'am. They wouldn't take them into the inn because they probably looked poor. I know the inns were full, but if they had been a rich family, they'd have found a spot, but they just turned them away. That's a good point. That's a good point. 
Uh, I also know that they were less than middle class because if I ever told my wife we were staying in a barn, <laughs> we'd still be out looking for a place to stay. Exactly, exactly. So for some reason, God chose a woman and a man who did not have great means at their disposal. He chose to come to a poor family. What, what does that tell you about God? What does that make you think about the character of God? He could have come to anybody. It would have made more sense to come to a wealthy family, right? A, a family of influence. If you want to have influence, you come into a family of influence. But he didn't. He came to a family that had he not come through Mary and Joseph, we wouldn't even know the names Mary and Joseph as part of Christ's redemptive story today. But he came to Mary and Joseph who were not of means. We talked about Nazareth, so I'm going to jump down to Luke chapter 1, verses 28 to 37. I'm going to read it for us real quick, and then we're going to, we're going to dig into it. Verse 28 says, And he came to her and said, this is Gabriel, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mm. I have a comment back here. I think it's kind of interesting in that day that she was given the name for the child. Yes. And, and, and I know what's interesting to me. What's interesting to you about it? Well, typically speaking, the father named the child. And mm -hmm. um, then also to add on to that, about she was also given a prophecy or a word about her auntie or whatever relative yeah. she was. At yeah. the same time, she was be being given the message about her own conception. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. There is another place in Scripture where it specifically shows that the mother named the child, but you're correct. It is not a typical practice for the mother to give the name. It's typically the father. And the name typically uh, within Hebrew culture is to say, what are you supposed to accomplish? And so that's why you have uh, a lot of these with... Uh, Shua at, at the end, like Joshua, it's, it's, uh, uh, which means of God. You know, it's like the, the warrior of God, the, you know, the, uh, the battler for God, the one who wrestles with God, all, the, all these different meanings. But there is one other place in Scripture that we're going to get to someday that, to me, it's a tearjerker. Um, when you look at Leah, you remember the wife, the unwanted wife? Uh, Leah names her sons, which end up being the tribes, uh, and each name is, it's a tearjerker because the names mean things like 
maybe he will love me now. Surely God has vindicated me because I've had a child. Uh, all these names that she names, which ultimately become the tribes of, of Israel, are these names that Leah gave her children just, just aching and breaking inside, hoping that her husband would look at her favorably and say, I love you. Um, so that's the other place that we see. And one day we're going to take a look at it, but bring a, a box of Kleenex. I'm, I'm warning you. Raul. I read a similar, um, similar situation in First uh, Samuel chapter 16, when uh, Samuel had to choose the next king, and he is shown the catalog of all these brothers, and he's puzzled, confused, you know, because he's looking for the good one. Right. And God says, "No, you are wrong." And this is what he says. This is God speaking. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Mm. It's interesting that this, this, uh, this thing, this episode happened in Bethlehem. It happened in Bethlehem and from a very direct relative of Mary. Exactly. Thank you, Raul. We're here. But, Roy, isn't it beautiful that even though Gabriel told Mary that the name would be Jesus, when he is dedicated in the temple, um, it is Joseph who's given the Father's honor to say his name is Jesus. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So even though, uh, yeah, the, Gabriel specifically says to Mary, uh, I, I think it once again shows Mary's character. She, she comes across as a little pushy sometimes. You see her in John chapter 2, Jesus' first miracle, which Jesus says, it's not my time, woman, please. She seems a little pushy there because like many of you moms, she's like, come on, come on, you got to help out. I know you can do it. And Jesus says, it's not yet my time. But then you follow it up with saying, but what did Jesus do? He did what his mom asked. So you can tell, even though she was meek and mild, boy, she had a backbone. And I think Jesus, <laughs> Jesus knew she wasn't going to stop until he helped out in the way that she had seen in the house. Can you imagine being a mom who, she would not have asked Jesus to perform a miracle that she didn't know Jesus could do, which shows that as she was bringing him up in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, she also saw at the dinner table what Jesus could do. She wouldn't have asked him to do something she had never seen him do before. So I think that's what gave her that little extra push, even though she was meek and mild, to say, I know you can do it, and this is a great time. There was a comment over here, or did you go down? By reading this Luke 128 to 37, just looking at it, it seems like even though Mary is looking toward about coming of Jesus, if he's really f surprised what the angel said, she did not jump and say, yeah, I'm going to be a mother of a great kingdom. But the first word that she come out is, how can this be? I'm a virgin. Hmm. But Gabriel even just say only you will conceive, not you already conceived. So I don't know what um, character is this like challenging him back. 
more question about what kind of character like questioning it back instead of jumping up and down, but at the same time questioning that. Yeah, exactly. Which leads us to the next question. Thank you, Togar, which is, okay, so within Mary's response, she demonstrates a character that God's looking for. Her response is still on the physical level, not the spiritual yet. We get to the spiritual in verse 20, uh, 38, but she's still in the carnal world, which is the place that we all respond. Whenever God asks you to do something, and many of you, if not all of you in here, at some time in your life, you felt impressed by God that he's calling you to do something, even, that's, even if that's just to share your faith with somebody, a coworker, family member, whatever. And in that moment that you're asked to do something, what's the first thing that you go to? Your carnal weakness. Well, I couldn't possibly because look at me and the things that people see on the outside. Mary initially goes to the external. How could that be? Physically, I, I can't have a kid. The belief in that day, I mean, even in Daniel's day all the way up through the, the time of Christ, was that uh, the, the child would be born naturally, even though in Isaiah you could see that it, it was already prophesied that this would be a virgin birth. But just like today, even though we have very clear scripture, we tend to go very, very different ways all over the place, and we create denominations and everything based on the same book. Uh, and so Mary immediately goes to the fact that, how can this be? Because the teaching, the, the myth, the, the, the common thought of the day is it will be born naturally, but he will become a warrior, this Cyrus type warrior that's spoken about uh, in earlier books. And he would come and basically his job was to overthrow the Romans. And then the Jews would finally have their own land and they would no longer be a slave people to another nation. Babylon's gone. Medo-Persia's gone. Greece is gone. We just got to get rid of Rome. And then we're our own nation. And that's what the Messiah would bring is freedom from Rome. And so she immediately is saying, how can this be? I'm not even pregnant yet. And that was the first place that she went. Yes, back here. Her, her second response also, uh, before becoming spiritual, is not to be incredulous that Elizabeth is pregnant. Because I think most of what it, are you talking about my cousin? She's mm -hmm. old. She can't have a baby. What are you talking about? Yeah. And I think repetitive in the story as we learn about Christ is that we are to have this young heart that mm -hmm. is totally trusting. <laughs> And she never responds in a way that most of us would. Yeah, exactly. We see this uh, miraculous birth as a first uh, event of its kind, but it's not, is it? What are some of the other miraculous births? They should not have had a child, but they did. Sarah was the first one. Who was the next one? Hannah. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, the first of the great prophets after Moses. And... Uh, uh, Hannah's situation is that she says, if I could just have a child, I'll give him to you. He will be yours. And then we have Elizabeth here, who's barren and up in age. She's an old lady. And now Mary. So Mary has these stories a lot fresher in her mind than we do. Um, and so it is kind of that next logical step of, I guess, I get to share in a miraculous birth as well.
So looking at this, we got to take the next step and say, so what is her final response? And verse 38 says, then Mary said, here, I, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. What's Mary committing to? We have a comment back here, Marilyn. <laughs> oh, well, she seems very willing and obedient and trusting. Perhaps she was aware of the scriptures and the prophecies you already mentioned from Isaiah mm -hmm. that there would be a virgin birth. Perhaps that was not even understood in this terms of a miraculous conception. Yeah. Uh, but perhaps the Holy Spirit enlightened her on the moment, and, and she could uh, rejoice that she was chosen, not knowing that this is not going to be a warrior. But if the name Jesus means he shall save them from their sins, she had some new things to ponder. Yeah. Exactly. You know, one of the things, Marilyn, that's interesting to look at is in the Old Testament, the, the word that we translate as virgin, actually, that's about the third most accurate uh, synonym. As you look at how it's translated in all the other places, that same word, it actually is used more often to talk about a young woman or a newlywed woman. And so perhaps, as Mary and many of the other people look back, her question is based on her understanding of the language, because words mean multiple things. And as she looked at, at this, possibly her reading of the Old Testament just said a young woman or a newlywed woman, and she's like, I'm not even married yet. And so from that standpoint, you can also see another layer of confusion that can be there just based on their understanding of what that word means. Uh, just a young woman or a newly wed woman. Exactly. There was a question back here, I think. Mike? I think it's interesting that to me, Mary, when, when Gabriel first come to her, she's protesting. That she's saying, wait a minute, I'm committed to somebody else. I'm committed to Joseph, and why are you asking me this? Hmm. And you see the process of her being um, convinced of what God's going to do, that God's convincing her, this, yes, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's interesting to, to look at the four times the angel comes and makes an announcement specifically about uh, Jesus' birth and, and John the Baptist, those four times, the angel's first words, the, it's four Christmas cards, and the, and the words on the outside of the card are all the same, the same two words, fear not. Then you open up the card and he explains. It's interesting that Gabriel would say the same thing in, in this instance where he comes to Mary because, especially you women, as you look at the possibility of this have happening to you, your very first thought would not simply be fear of the angel, but the words that he says after fear not would probably strike even deeper fear within you. 
talking to an angel, no big deal. Raising the Son of God, I got a lot of fears. What was Mary committing to? What were the things that Mary was committing to when she says, I'm your servant, may it be as you said? What is she committing to? Carrying the baby, yes, back here. We need a microphone back here. What else? Raising the child to be a productive member of society. Yes, back here. She was committing to following God. Yes. She, there was a lot of things she didn't understand, but she recognized the angel of the Lord and she recognized prophecy. Hmm. And so she says, you know, I don't know what all of, all of this is about, yeah. but if it's coming from you, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Eventual heartbreak. Eventual, because she knew. She knew she would be heartbroken. She didn't know the full story. Yeah, but every parent knows, especially if you, I, I always say it this way. You don't know you have a good child until you have the other child, right? <laughs> and you don't know which one's going to break your heart the most, but you know at least one of them will. Heartbreaking. And so every mother, I think, goes through this deep, ingrained fear. How many mothers do we have here in the crowd today? Oh, my word. We're filled with mothers. Am, am I correct in assessing the fact that as you look back at your, your, your parenting years, they were filled with fear, completely filled with fear. Some of them founded, some of them unfounded, but completely full of fear. Am I doing the right thing? Did my advice really help? Am I doing enough? Am I doing too much? Am I coddling? Am I cold? Am I stiff arming? What am I doing? Because I want my child to, to, to grow up, to become everything that they were predestined to be. Can you imagine if an angel had appeared to you before you even became pregnant and said, by the way, you're having a very special child. You don't have to wait to compare with your other six children you're going to have. This one is the one. You talk about added pressure and the commitment of a mother to say, I will raise him holistically, even though I'm exhausted. We're going to read Torah together. Even though I'm angry, I'm going to measure my words. Even though I want to pour all these blessings and everything I have, I want to spoil you, I will withhold. The toughest, toughest things to do. Mary commits to this before she even becomes with child. Everything that we know about Mary so far, his choice of Mary, what does that tell you about the character of God? This choice, what does it tell you about the character of God? Raise your hand. To me, it, well, it teaches many things, but one is that God has a sense of an understanding of personal freedom very different from what we, we do. We look at the life of Jesus, and uh, if I recall rightly, the people who he healed, people went to him, and he even asked some of them, do you really want to be healed? Hmm. And now, in, in the case of Mary, God goes straight and says, you are the one. There's no choice. You, you are. And, and she accepts. The concept of personal freedom 
that we have is very different from the one that God has for us. Yeah, absolutely. The question I want you to ponder today as we close is a what if question. What if God appeared to you and said, I found favor in you. As I look at you, I can't help but find favor in my sight of you. What you're doing is great. Your knee-jerk reaction is to say, how could this be? Look at me. I'm a mess. God does not see things the same way man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God is looking at your heart. And by the very fact that you are coming to a community to get to know the character of God, God sees a heart that's willing to grow and learn and connect with Him. Despite all the things of the outside, all the mistakes and failures of the past, because by the way, Mary was not perfect as much as church has venerated her into this, this little icon of perfection. She was a normal person, but her heart was a heart of God. In this Christmas season, as we look at this cryptic decision of God deciding to use this young woman and this young man to raise the Son of God into His divine calling and His purpose. I want you to think about your own life, and I want you to stop thinking about the externals, and I want you to think about your heart today. The very fact that today and consistently you're trying to get to know the character of God, God looks down and says, I find favor in you, because you are a person who is trying to connect with me. I'm not calling you to be perfect. I'm calling you to be present. And because of that, you find favor in my sight. That is such a powerful thought, and I hope we all remember that, just to find that way to be present in God's sight. Now, I love Christmas, and one of the most depressing things for me is taking down Christmas decorations. So I want you to kind of console me and go along in this journey with me as we say goodbye to Christmas. But I cannot wait until next week. We are starting a brand new series called The Judge of Judges. And it is a series on the book of Judges. We're going to take a look at the character of God during this 300 to 400 year window before the time of David and after the time of Joshua where things were just a roller coaster and a time when we see God clearly and we see him trying to work with us and then there are times of silence and the back and forth of people doing what he wants and people not doing at all what he wants and how does God respond throughout that and how does he set up 12 specific judges or deliverers or heroes to answer every need of our heart that we have here before Jesus comes again. And so I invite you to come back for the next episode as we launch into a 12-part series on the book of Judges. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.